When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on joint greeting cards, LinkedIn messages, a new COVID wedding conundrum, and making expectations clear to your babysitter. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about writing thank you notes when you don't know who gave you which gifts. All that, plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we discuss engagement announcements in the paper. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And today, dear audience, we are going to do something very Vermonty and talk about our plow guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have one other very Vermonty topic that I think has to be addressed. The elephant <laughs> in the that? room. Or maybe What's it's that? the donkey. Bernie Sanders mittens. Oh, the mittens. <laughs> Bernie Sanders mittens. <laughs> Yeah, and and just parka. I mean, the most Ver Vermont esque practicality <laughs> at that outdoor ceremony. That was great, and I I love that the sustainable mittens made from recycled sweaters are getting a big bump now. That's that's a Vermont maker who's who's definitely having a moment in the sun. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, as a Vermonter, you get to step out. You know, puff yourself up a little bit, take pride <laughs> in where you're from. This is one of those moments. We all have mittens like that, and we all have parkas like that, and we wear them to stay warm. <laughs> oh, definitely reach out and get get yourself a pair of sustainable mittens. It's a, it'll make you feel good, and they look pretty darn cute, too. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we, we do come from a state where you say Vermont and... You know, Stephen Colbert can't get to the end of a section without there being Ben and Jerry's jokes. And <laughs> there is a certain um, – there is something about Bernie Sanders that's become kind of iconic with Vermont. It's – Yeah. Um, He's been iconic here in Vermont for a very long time. It's really fun seeing him get to be iconic on the on the world stage now. <laughs> it's true. But that was not the Vermont topic that you were going to talk about. No, it was the plow guy. And I had that magic moment yesterday where, yes, I hadn't left my house in a little while. And the snowstorms that have uh, accumulated snow in my driveway, because yes, I, I did not go out and shovel not needing to leave my house, <laughs> left a very messy situation. The, the, like, the sidewalk plow goes by. 
And what it does is it it pushes all the sidewalk stuff over and it creates this line on both sides of your driveway. <laughs> like and it fill it just it packs it down. It becomes ice as stuff melts and freezes and melts and freezes, and it's horrendous. And my neighbor is a plow guy. You all have heard me talk about him before. And he saw me out there chiseling away at the ice, and he just came through. And whatever he has on that plow busts through everything because my driveway was completely cleared. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It's like apple pie baking worthy, you know? What's your plow story? <laughs> no, so I, I was going the other way where the guy that drives the, the plow on our road was walking up the road the other day. And Pooch, being Pooch, was actually out snowshoeing and ran into him. I was like, what are you doing out for a walk, good sir? <laughs> and he said, well, there's a you know big tree across the road. The truck's down below it. Um, I'm looking for a chainsaw. <laughs> Do you know the folks in these houses? Oh, yeah, that's our house and we have a saw. So mm-hmm. I spent the afternoon – a great big, huge, hairy beech tree that's way up on a bank had fallen and the whole crown of the tree was across the road. So it wasn't just like one big heavy trunk or something. It was like mm-hmm. the whole crown of this big old beach. Um, and I got to know the plow guy while we spent a good bit of time <laughs> <laughs> processing clearing, that tree out of the, the road. road. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. They are two, one, you know, city mouse, country mouse version of plow guy experience. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, they, they're uh, such a lifeline in our lives. And the oh, the yeah. plowing of this road is, I mean, we depend on it. And it's actually a really, um, it's a nice opportunity for me to get to pay that back some and help one of those guys out with some of their work too. Nice. Well, we should probably help our listeners out with some work and get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is about a joint card conundrum. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I've been writing a lot of birthday and holiday cards these days and had a bit of a conundrum. I like getting blank cards or cards so that I can write at least a few sentences of personalized wishes. I am married, and while my husband and I have many mutual friends, I'm often writing cards to someone like my brother or my best friend from high school, someone with whom I have a very different relationship than my husband has. I don't want to write a generic happy birthday we love you message, but it's also not appropriate if we both sign a card with a message about being the greatest brother in the world <laughs> or about how glad we are to have known you for 20 years. For close friends of both of us, we sometimes each write our own message on both the left and right side of the inside of the card and sign them separately. But for someone like my brother, I'll usually write a long message, sign it, and then my husband will write a simple line of his own to sign below it. Do you have any advice for how to go about this? Should we write separate cards for close mutual friends instead of using separate sides? And for non-mutual friends, is it all right for me to write a personal message and for my husband to write something small? Or should we write something together? Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast, Bess, Rena in Toronto. Rena, thank you so much. This is this is a great question. It's like super etiquette question. And I feel like the answer is I feel like everything they're doing works. <laughs> like I love the long message to the brother that then has the brother-in-law chiming in at the you know, but the, it makes sense for the sister to be signing it to her brother and then the brother-in-law chiming in with a Hey, man, hope you have a great, you know, great birthday thinking of you, you know, that to me feels so natural and feels yeah. like it would be a great representation of how the three of you all might interact if you were together. You know what I mean? Maybe not. Maybe there'd be more conversation. <laughs> but I really liked that one in, in particular. And I, I don't think it's the only option here either. No, but it feels like a natural one. Yeah. And there is this um, sort of etiquette problem that isn't really a big problem that different people have different relationships and yeah. then not everyone in the same household has the same relationship to the person who's the recipient. And there's a certain ease and convenience and reality to that. Oh, this household is going to send yeah. the good wishes to that household. And what was described here, I think is what in practice I end up seeing pretty frequently, which is where everyone takes a turn signing. And if you've got a little something to say, that's personal from you. Mm -hmm. That's the perfect spot to jot it down. <laughs> what do you think about the cards where you're sending to a mutual friend and they both write separate messages on the side? Like, do you think it like, would it be weirder if 
like your best buddy and his fiance like both wrote to you and Pooj about something or would it be be weirder to have them both write in one card about something like you know what i mean and the the third version would be to write a message together that combines your your sentiments you know i think the reality is that i don't think i'd raise an eyebrow <laughs> at any of them <laughs> for any of those things I, w- 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 totally. you know if i get the card with the, the letter on each side i'd say to myself oh this is kind of funny they each had something to say and i would read both and be like oh that's sweet that's sweet and if i had separate cards i'd say oh that's great they got, I, mean, I don't think you can go wrong what, what is nice is this effort to personalize the message um yeah and and to honor those relationships Rena, we know that that's not a, a whole ton of hardcore etiquette advice for a very etiquette question, but we hope that it certainly helps you and your husband feel confident sending messages however you choose to send them to your friends and family. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Our next question is about being loaded on LinkedIn. I feel like that could mean a couple different things. I'm very curious. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for your incredible show. I've been listening for years. I have a question about the professional social media network LinkedIn. About nine months ago, I got a new job at a major tech company and subsequently updated my LinkedIn profile. Since this company is sought after by many people, I have noticed a huge uptick in strangers reaching out to me on LinkedIn. They have a variety of requests, the most common being a simple connection request, questions about an upcoming interview at the company, or a request for information about working at the company. I truly wish I could help all of these people, but I don't have the bandwidth to do so. Is it rude to simply ignore their requests and messages? I am all for mentoring and supporting, but I already have channels to do this outside of strangers on LinkedIn. I would appreciate any insight on the best way to respond or if I can simply ignore. Thanks so much. Best LinkedIn overload. Oh, LinkedIn overload. Thanks for the question. There is so much good LinkedIn etiquette. This will give us a chance to dip our toe in just a little bit. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I'm just going to sit back and let Dan run, you guys. This is going to be fun. (laughs) The Big picture on this one is the same as our big picture if you were to ask a social networking question about a social network like Facebook or Instagram. And that's that because you don't have to participate in these systems, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of latitude about how you decide to participate. And granted, there are consequences. You can use that latitude, decide to participate badly and ignore all the norms of the platform and you might suffer some consequences for that. But there aren't specific rules that you have to follow. You do get to make a lot of choices and particularly around LinkedIn as a networking tool, Mm -hmm. people tend to fall into two different categories. There are people that use it as a selective networking tool and people that use it as a really broad net catch all networking tool totally, totally. and th- th- there are two valid and different approaches and in terms of the 
the responsibilities that you have within your network on LinkedIn, people reaching out to you, if, I mean, real stranger requests, people that you don't know and aren't connected to in any way, absolutely, you can ignore those. They don't even require <laughs> the polite decline. I feel like I need to jump in and just mark the moment where I think we have really fully embraced the idea that ghosting might sometimes be necessary. Like just the, this idea of just or ignoring in this particular case, since you're not starting something to exactly. begin with. I but think that, that's the difference there for me. I, yeah. This is where the, the, the signature of overload feels really appropriate because I can only imagine, especially if you were working at a really well-known large tech company, that you might get enough requests regularly from complete strangers that, that there is absolutely no way you could entertain them and still get your regular eight-hour workday done, you know, or like or you'd have to substitute a, a preferred hobby or something. Um, and I, I do think that it is really – it's just a reality that the number of people who can reach out to us is much greater than the number of people that we could actually be able to respond to. And that, that's, a, that's a hard hard thing to accept, but it's an important thing to understand when you're the one doing the reaching out. Yeah, and you're not accountable to every user on the LinkedIn platform. True. Within your network, I think there's a little bit more accountability, but frankly, not a lot more. Okay. <laughs> and really depending on depending on how you use your network. If if you're somebody that maintains sort of a, a select group or a, a curated group of friends and contacts, then you might say to yourself, it's worth it enough to me to cultivate this network of people. I've I've invested in these relationships and I I wouldn't go so far as to ignore a request like that, you could say to yourself, you know, I'm just going to reply positive or negative, mm -hmm. but that you're going to, you're going to give them the the courtesy of a reply. If that request is coming from within your own network, you don't have to, but that's just something I would think about as, as a way that you might handle that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you need to apologize or feel bad about not doing it either. That's the other sort of question that started to emerge for me as I was reading this one, that the work that you do mentoring and supporting people within channels that are set up for doing that is good work. And even if you weren't doing that, it really is up to you to what degree you want to play that role for other people. It's one of the reasons mm -hmm. we say thank your mentors and appreciate them because they don't have to. <laughs> because they don't have to and they are they are often doing so, so much for us. It's, and yeah, it's yeah. important. And there are rewards to be reaped on both sides of that relationship. And it sounds like you're really aware of that. But also, no one is ever benefited by someone over committing or doing things that they don't feel good about. So it sounds to me like you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Lizzie, am I missing something? What, what am no, I missing here? This is all this is all what I, I was I was hoping to hear in this answer or what I kind of expected to hear in this answer. It's a lot of this is a, a space where you call the shots. And I think it's wise to think about consequences they may have, you know, someone who's interviewing might might be interviewing and end up working with you, you know, um, but for the volume and, and the frequency that you're getting them, I think it's perfectly reasonable 
to to choose not to respond to certain ones entirely. And I feel like I always hear that for like them's the breaks, like that's just it. There's you know that's how it goes. Like we all have to be responsible as much as we can in these spaces. But as Dan said, you are not responsible to the entirety of the platform. LinkedIn overload. Thank you so much for this question. It was fun to take a little turn looking at LinkedIn etiquette. There is certainly a lot more to say about the topic. If you have other questions come up in the future, don't be shy to send them. Tell me, why are you interested in this job? I need a steady job, Mr. Wiley, with a chance to go places. I see. Tell me, were you fired? Yes, I was. But it wasn't my fault. Our next question is titled COVID Cancellation Conundrum. I have a wedding invitation quandary. I was originally set to get married last year, July 2020. In December 2019, I sent out Save the Dates to my 170 guests. In April 2020, my fiancé and I made the tough decision to postpone our wedding one year in hopes of having our large wedding. We sent out our postponement announcements, letting everyone know the wedding was being postponed to July 2021. It's now 2021, and our venue has made clear they will be unable to accommodate 170 guests in July. We are resolute in getting married this summer, since we have already waited so long. We will likely have to pare down our guests to somewhere between 10 and 50 people, depending on the vaccine rollout. I have several questions. Do I send out cancellation notices to all 170 guests to let them know the wedding has been canceled, even though we never actually sent out invitations? And then subsequently issue new invitations to the 20 to 50 guests. If so, what should the timing be between when I send out cancellation announcements and when I send out my invitations? Finally, when should I send out cancellation announcements? I want to give people enough time to make arrangements and decisions, but I also want to invite as many people as possible to our wedding. Thank you so much for everything you do. I love this podcast so very much. COVID Bride. COVID bride. Oh, so many things. <laughs> oh, what a situation. I'm I am sorry that this isn't working out. Yeah, it's it's really it is really frustrating and it is really disappointing, especially when you've waited an entire year and you've kind of I don't know about you, but I know a lot of brides that I know have been kind of holding out the hope of like, next year will be better. We'll just do it in 2021. It's okay. And then to really find out, no, we're still going to probably have sort of maximum occupancy issues in 2021 for a while, at least. It's it's frustrating and disappointing. So we're we're giving you a hug if you would like one from here. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that in in terms of the questions that you you asked, let's start with the timing. I do think you want to give people as much notice as possible. You definitely don't want to be doing a quick turnaround of sending out the cancellation in, let's say, if you're July, uh, sending out the cancellation in early May or late April, and then immediately reissuing the new invitation for the same date, but for, you know, fewer guests. On the plus side, if you did do it that way, the guests who are being invited would at least, because it's the same day, nothing's really changing for them. It's not a huge rush of trying to make an adjustment to something you already knew. It's just continuing on with the thing that you were you were going to do originally. But I think as a consideration to the people who are, are now 
basically, you know, no longer a part of the the new wedding plan, it's really nice to tell them as soon as possible so that they can, you know, do what they can to to make adjustments to hopefully get refunds if anything had been purchased um, and to also free up the time that they may be able to use for something else. So, Dan, are you feeling me on that? Like, it's like a tough balance, but I, I wouldn't do it right at that mark where you're sending out your invitations. I do think you need to send something, though, because you sent the save the date card, and that would indicate people are expecting an invitation. So in response to having sent the save the date card, you need to send the the cancellation announcement. In terms of sending out your new invitations, or I guess the the original now adjusted but not adjusted invitations, <laughs> since it's the guest list that we've adjusted, that should should follow your standard form. And that would be, I think it's usually about like eight weeks before, um, maybe a little more. And that just kind of gets to, to follow in its standard format. But it is such a tough one. I know that, that you're working with a question of between 10 and 50 people, depending on a vaccine rollout. That's a huge, huge balancing act. And what I might say to you is that work with the venue, keep keep up with them, keep talking to them about what, you know, what what's allowed, what's not allowed, where we're at so that you can know. Gosh, I'm almost of the mind to say, like, if these 50 are your closest and nearest and dearest, you might just take the time to explain the situation to them. But I still that puts you in a position of like inviting people and then uninviting them. I almost feel like there has to be a way that COVID bride here can like stand by, like, like you're on wedding guest standby. <laughs> like if it's 10, we're not a go. If it's 50, we're a go. Like if it's 30, these people are a go. And that just is so complicated. And I, and I, I feel for you. I, I think a lot of the answer here is there's, there is no one perfectly right way to do what you're up against. I think that was where I was feeling the tension in this question. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. idea of, well, if I, the, the longer I wait, the greater the possibility that it's going to open up more. Right. And resolving that tension is difficult. And the answer that I think you came down on very early in your answer was you prioritize your guests yeah. and their opportunity to not commit to plans or even think of other things. And it's not quite that black and white because there might be people on that list who would love to get that invite. If I know. It, <laughs> happened in that way so that that's where your natural tension starts to arise and yeah. i don't think you want to sort of fall prey to waiting for that to that hope essentially i think that in my mind i'm starting to feel like the thing to do is figure out who those 50 that's your max that that in july they're really going to allow if it's if it's everybody that they could allow figure out who your 50 are and Definitely send the cancellation to the other 120 who definitely aren't going to make the list. You know what I mean? I think that might be the way to do this. And but then, I, I you do wonder I would, about send other it to people everybody. who are yeah, because then you've got but. Although the 50 that are close enough, again, they might be close enough, Dan, because like our family's 50, you know what I mean? And it's like, I could totally see you sending us a warning of just like, hey, listen, we're really hoping this is going to work. But there is a chance that, you know, due to restrictions, things things might not be as open as we're hoping they're going to be. I could see us like warning within a tight knit family about something like that. But 
you start to expand out and it's like, hey, I received a cancellation to the wedding. Did you receive a cancellation to the wedding? No, I didn't receive a cancellation no. to the wedding. What's going on here? And you could just see where the problem – like it's like it's it's tempting and at the same time you start to see the pitfalls, you know? For simplicity's sake, just canceling the whole thing to everyone who received their save the date and then reinviting the subset that you're going to be – Inviting to what I'm thinking of as a new party just really simplifies things and makes a lot of sense to me. It, it does. It definitely does. I think that this situation is slightly different than the previous time we've answered this question where it's it's the idea that, yes, you cancel to everyone and then you uh, reissue the invitation to those who are coming. And the only reason I think there's a tiny difference is that you've got everyone only having received the save the date. Now, a save the date indicates that an invitation is coming. So for the people for whom an invitation is not coming down the road, they definitely need that cancellation. But I wonder, cousin, if there isn't just a little bit of room for the 10 people who are guaranteed on this, you know, if the worst case scenario, they have only 10 people at the July wedding, that if maybe those people could receive just a straight invitation eight weeks before the wedding and not have to need a cancellation, I'm guessing those people are close enough to the inner circle that they already know what's going on. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm just making more work. The scary thing is I actually follow what you're saying. (laughs) Like, And it could just end up being more work, whereas yours, like you said, simplify it. Just send the cancellation to everyone. The 10 who are definitely coming will know what's going on. You can make the decision about the other 40 based on what the venue says as you get closer to the date. Like that kind of stuff, but... I love how you're finding a little bit of wiggle room somewhere <laughs> between <laughs> the, how solid a save the date invite is and an actual invite. And it's a difference. And they, they have, I'm parsing things, man. I'm parsing. <laughs> COVID bride, I am really appreciative that you sent in this question and really sorry that it even yeah. had to come up. When we got the first wave of these questions, I had wondered to myself whether there would be a second wave of them and was really hoping that we would never see them. Yeah. But There's a lot of good etiquette here, and we really appreciate a chance to review some of it. However this shakes out, whether it's 20 guests or 50 guests or uh, miracles happen and you, you end up really being able to have your 170 guests, we hope that you feel married, that you feel celebrated, and that you have an amazing time on your wedding day. There's a justice of the peace down there. We'll elope, honey. But Larry, I wanted a church wedding. And all the parties and showers for me, too, and my folks. That would break Mom's heart. Well, we're the ones that are getting married, not your folks. I don't know, Larry. Our next question is about a babysitter bother. Hi, thank you so much for your podcast. I really think it helps us be better human beings all around. I was hoping you could provide guidance for a situation I'm having with my babysitter. We recently had to change babysitters abruptly due to our previous babysitter not showing up for work without notice. My husband and I both have jobs that are very inflexible and we need people who show up when they say they will. Our previous babysitter was beloved by our children and left the house in the condition that she found it in, which is sadly not the case with our current sitter. Our new babysitter has been reliable in regards of coming to work, but we have struggled with getting her to fulfill other expectations, such as playing with our kids, cleaning up after our kids' meals, helping the kids clean up their toys, etc. 
I have confronted her directly on several occasions, i.e. asked her to put dishes in the dishwasher instead of leaving them in the sink or on the counter, asked her to use the dustbuster for crumbs, our kids are too young to do this by themselves, I asked her to put schoolwork folders away, I asked her to have the kids start cleaning up their playroom 30 minutes before she is scheduled to leave. I confronted her that the boys noted she was always on her phone and rarely played with them. I even told her that this hurt their feelings. We even provided a printed-out document with expectations, tips, tricks, etc. I fear that when we hired her, we place so much emphasis on the need for her to show up that she doesn't think we value the other aspects of the job, despite asking her directly to engage with the children and keep things clean on multiple occasions. It seems as if we need to make these asks every single day in order for her to do them, which is not possible given that we are at work outside the house for the majority of the time she is here, and even gave her a sheet with the daily activities and expectations, which did not help. Others have suggested that this is just not a good fit, but I'm hoping we can fix these issues, at least somewhat, as I fear continuous turnover is not good for my kids' mental health. Also, in the age of COVID, it's hard to trust others in your home and around your kids. As a whole, I hate confrontation and struggle with it greatly. Any advice is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, Anonymous. Anonymous, I, I almost fear that this question steps into a, a real therapy answer as opposed to an etiquette answer, because I think you've done a lot of the things that we would have suggested, which is to be clear and explicit to really define the role if it wasn't upon hiring defined clearly and to give this person the chance to then meet those conditions. I'm just going to straight up throw my opinion out here, Dan. I'm in the camp of your friends. I don't think it's a good fit. And if someone isn't doing the things that you're asking them to do that are the requirements of the job, then you've got, I think it's important to find someone else to do that job, especially if you've done the trying of the, we've talked about it, we've written about it, we've made it clear, and we're not getting the result we want. I think that's a, that's, that's a difficult relationship hurdle to overcome, I think, for a work relationship. It is. And it can be particularly challenging when, you feel you've been really clear yeah. and for some reason it's not being heard or you're not seeing it put into action and that can make you question yourself or wonder with good reason. Did I, did I say it right? Did I say everything I thought I said? Was I clear? And um, that questioning is good. It's useful, but not to the point that it incapacitates. Dan, I got a question in my head that's coming up Yeah, because I've done a lot of babysitting in my day. <laughs> um, I've also been a nanny. And for me, there was a real difference between the two. The babysitting nights, the moms would be like, don't worry about the dishes. No, it's not your responsibility to clean. Or when I would clean up, they would often be like, you didn't have to do that. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. Like you're just here with the kids for a few hours. Like, don't worry about it. You know, the house is always a wreck, that sort of thing. Other places, the types of things that you talked about were expectations set out at the get-go of the evening. Like the kids know that they need to clean up before bed or they know they have to put their dishes in the sink, you know, whatever's age appropriate or whatever the house rules are. Mm -hmm. But with nannying, it was always full-on care, feeding, cleaning up, encouraging, doing homework with them, doing – activities with them, it, whereas the babysitting kind of had a much lighter feel. And I, I just wonder if maybe this particular person is not thinking of the job as serious. I mean, clearly you've laid it out at this point, so they should be thinking of it as serious. But 
I don't know. Do you think there's anything about sort of those two title descriptions that might have the person thinking this wasn't going to be as as big a deal as it might really be? I think that you're keying on something there, Lizzie Post, that I noticed when I read the question but wasn't thinking about as part of an answer, but it should be, which is that that language of babysitter, when I first read it, it brought to my mind something um, sort of more temporary or quicker than mm-hmm. the relationship that started to emerge in the question. I might be making some assumptions here, but I, I started to, in my own mind, translate babysitter to nanny as I got yeah. farther down or child care provider or daycare provider as I got mm-hmm. further down the, the question. So there might be something there. The way that I just heard you describe the way you think about those responsibilities differently, to me – Sounds like a potential – I don't want to call it last opportunity conversation, but maybe <laughs> – I know what you mean, um, though. <laughs> maybe sort of a final framing or, or a chance yeah. to approach that conversation in a different way. And Anonymous says that that um, he or she doesn't like the confrontation, finds it difficult. And if you think about it as having a discussion about the role and how you envision it and how they envision themselves playing it – you might be able to find a, a way to align or harmonize those two ideas. Or you might discover that really this is not the good fit, that this person really is thinking of babysitting as having a different set of responsibilities than you do. And th- th- that doesn't need to be a big conflict. That can be a important discovery to make between the two of you. Anonymous, we certainly hope that this helps uh, think about the question more broadly and hopefully maybe gives you one more chance at an, at another conversation. But if not, know that it's also it is OK to to call it quits and move on to something that will work for you, because in the end, that is definitely the goal is finding a fit that really works for you and your family. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up, and if you love awesome etiquette, you could show us some of that love, and instead of sending us a valentine, you could become a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get, with all the love in our hearts, an ad-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, plus, oh, the joy that you will feel knowing that you help keep awesome etiquette on the air to those of you who we're already in love with, we are so grateful for you being sustaining members. Thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Momo. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I recently submitted an etiquette salute and was thrilled to hear it on this week's episode. I hadn't mentioned it to my family, and so they were all surprised and thrilled. Just wanted to say thank you. I've been listening to you from the beginning and appreciate your positivity and light during these difficult times. You are my weekly dose of calm. My daughter recommended your podcast to me several years ago, and I enjoy discussing episodes with her. I wish you both good health and perseverance. Sincerely, Momo, Jack and Charlie's grandma. Oh, that's so sweet. 
thank you so much, Momo. And thank your daughter for sharing the show. And I'm just delighted. I have a very close relationship with my mother. We love talking about the media that we share. I, um, I'm having a little moment of appreciation. I was going to say, you're feeling this. You're feeling this. <laughs> totally. <laughs> thank you so much, Momo. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about announcing engagements. Tis the season. (laughs) It is the season. This is engagement season. A lot of people tend to get engaged over the holiday season and January hits and all the hubbub of the end of the year holidays is done or finished. And it's kind of like, now what? And there's this beautiful period that I feel like sometimes gets skipped over. And that is like the celebration of the engagement itself. I I feel like people kind of have gone the direction of, "Ah, I've announced it on, on social media, I'm done. And it's not quite like that. Typically, you do really want to make sure that anyone who's really special to your life, that you you call them and tell them directly or, or tell them when you see them directly and that you not wait too, too long to do that. But once you've kind of covered the bases, right, the immediate family, the very bestest of friends, the godparents, people like that, I think then it's okay to open it up and do that that big online posting. But there's another posting that's really traditional. And Dan, I don't remember, did you and Pooja do this? Did you do a newspaper posting we for did your not. engagement or your wedding? Well, we no, we thought about pulling strings and doing a New York Times one, but we didn't. Ah, <laughs> totally, totally. Hey, man, I've had that fantasy too. <laughs> it's a really traditional thing. It can be a really special or meaningful thing. I remember as a little girl when my babysitter got engaged, seeing her photo in the paper and knowing that this was a big celebration for her and then going to the wedding. It really was. And it is, It is. I know so much of our communities have moved to websites like Front Porch Forum for our neighborhoods or, you know, like Facebook for just our personal communities of people. And it's kind of really nice sometimes to touch into that town town community that that's sort of established in there and not online, even though a lot of these announcements then end up on online too. But the newspaper still is a traditional place to do this. And many papers have a form that either you or your fiance or the two of you, um, sometimes a member of your bridal party or your family might fill it out for you or take care of this task for you um, if you've delegated it to them. But you can fill this out. Sometimes they have a space to upload or add a photo to it. Other times not. And you might just take a quick peek in your paper and see whether or not there are photos or, or no photos with the announcements traditionally. And then the wording is really up to you, sort of. (laughs) And I mean that to be that whether or not you announce it as if it's your parents announcing or, or a guardian or whether or not you announce it as the couple is really up to you. So like a, a really traditional announcement might say Mr. and Ms. Bride's parents of Fairview, Maryland. And you do that. You list where they're from announce the engagement of their daughter, Eliza Sue Carlton, we'll say, to James Franklin Peters, we're pulling names out of hats, son of the groom's parents, and you do their names, and then you do of, and we'll say Richmond, Vermont. And then the next sentence after that, that's all one sentence, is an August wedding is planned. And then 
I think right now it's not a bad idea to to add the date just in case because we do have a lot of weddings planning a year or two out because of the pandemic. And so it's not a bad idea. And that's a very traditional way of doing it is kind of announcing it from the parents' perspective. I think a lot of people nowadays marry long after they're in their parents' homes or where it sort of feels like it's their parents' announcing their their child's entry into the adult world of social society. You know what I mean? Even though we know like debutantes and cotillions often do that long before someone's married or engaged, but it's kind of like a lot of people now just feel so much more like adults in their own right. They can announce their own wedding. And so they choose to do it that way. And that type of wording would sound like, Francis Ann Parker and Louisa Eleanor Jenkins are pleased to announce their engagement. They could then follow up with info about their parents or where they're from or their lives as a couple and the wedding date as well if they wanted to. Or you could leave all of that out and just simply have it be the the one sentence. But you could also include where they're from or maybe what they do, that sort of a thing. But those are kind of the two forms that the the newspaper announcement typically takes nowadays. And we want people to do them still. I think I think it's a nice way for a paper to not just be hard news. <laughs> it's like it can be community fun news too. You're taking me back in time a little bit, not just with the, the newspaper idea. And yeah. I'm also reminded that oftentimes we, we, we hear about sort of the way local press is in decline in a lot of places. This is a great way to support local press. And it's also true that there are a lot of um, free weeklies that have kind of taken the place that a lot of the sort of traditional local newspapers used to play. And a lot of them play the same function in a community and will do yeah. things like announce this kind of information. The other way you were taking me back was in your discussion about not scooping people's news in terms of the <laughs> order of the way you let people know important news, celebratory news even. And I'm just reminded of 10 plus years ago when I joined the Emily Post Institute, that was a real question. And th this whole idea of being really sure that, that, that you let people who are very close to you know the big and important news first and the internet was causing all kinds of disruption because it was scooping people and, and taking people out of order in terms of the way that information was distributed. But it doesn't feel so alarming in the way it used to, which is sort of an interesting sign of how things have changed a little bit. And it's still really good advice. <laughs> totally. So Dan, there's another aspect of this that I actually found interesting when I went to look it up in our book and, and kind of research this answer. And that was that step parents aren't typically included in the announcement, unless they are an adoptive parent to the child getting to the person getting married, I shouldn't say child getting married, to the person getting married. Or the other biological parent isn't a part of their life anymore. The other time that step parents do get mentioned is then if it's a lengthier one. So for instance, in that from the couple example, um, if you did decide to go into a longer version where you added more about your families and things like that, you would in, you would include the step parents in that. But for the very short form ones, they, they try to kind of keep it as streamlined as possible. And, and how exactly do you indicate that in the short form version? So when you list the parents' names for a divorce set of parents, you what you do is you really treat them as individuals, as you should. So you might list the mother's name, and then you list where she's from. So um, Lizzie Post of Burlington, Vermont. And then you would do an and, and then list the father's name of and where he's from. 
And that's what indicates that they aren't living together. They aren't together as a couple. They stand on their own independently. Could be a little confusing if they do still reside in the same town and you're listing that same town and state twice. But So um, if you do see yeah. location listed twice, this is probably what's this is why. being indicated. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's that leaning on on wording and how it's presented to show us what's going on with it. And I think that that's, you know, or what's going on with the relationship. And and this is one of those times where because you're making the big announcement in the paper, that sort of thing, you, you know, you you try to get that right. I'm so glad I've got you in my life to <laughs> keep track of some of these details for me or help uh, bring them to mind. I'm so glad that we have our previous generations who did such a great job on the books that we have out there that I can I can research it and feel confident in the answer. <laughs> well, it really is the season and it's a nice time as things sort of quiet down and here the days are still short, the nights are long and there's time to think and enjoy things like wedding announcements showing up. Exactly, exactly. Well, a big hearty congratulations, since that is now appropriate to say to all, to all of you engaged couples out there. It really is an exciting time, and we, we hope that you embrace it. Don't rush through it too quickly, and enjoy the love. This is a, this is a fun moment in life. Here, here. How did you know when you were in love with Dad? Oh, I've been in love several times before. I got so I could recognize the symptoms. Several times? Mm-hmm. And each time I thought I'd found my Prince Charming. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Troy. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'd like to send out an etiquette salute to my neighbor, Nikki. She always goes above and beyond to make sure that I, along with the others in our building, are taken care of. If we leave trash outside to take to the dumpster later, and she happens to pass by, she will pick it up and take it out on her way. She makes a point of saying hi and checking in when passing in the hall, and even leaves the occasional plate of baked goods outside our doors when she has the time. This is so much more than I would expect from any neighbor, and it makes me a better neighbor too. Thanks, Troy. Oh, that is that is such a great example of a good neighbor. Someone who just says, this is easy, I can, so I will. It's like, that's do. just a dream. Yeah, exactly. Like, just a dream. Troy, thank you so much for this salute. Hopefully it provides inspiration for a few other better neighbors out there. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and anywhere on social media that you like to share cool things that you're into. We'd be really happy if you shared our show. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app or all of them. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking, which helps new people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by the very talented Chris Albertine, and it's assistant produced by the incredible Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and, and Bridget. Bridget. <laughs> 